The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, is sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, a leading Australian corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Focused on your vision, Barclay Pierce specialises in making it a successful reality. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. Now, today we're delving into a diversified clean energy and engineering company, Cinetech. The company is listed under the ASX code SOP, market cap at the time of recording, sitting around about the $27 million mark. The company's founder and managing director is Michael Carroll, who's joining us now. Michael, welcome. Thanks for having me, Oriel. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. We're very, very happy to be chatting with you today. Now, I'm really interested in the last 25 years because you found Cinetech 25 years ago. What an incredible journey this must have been. Yes, um, when you say it like that, it does make you feel a little old. Didn't I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been a it's been a great journey. Um, so yeah, here we are, 25 years down the track. Well, what what made you start the company in the first place? I mean, obviously there's been numerous iterations in the last 25 years, but what made you start it? It was a group of five of us who sat around a table at Molly Bloom's in Port Melbourne. Um, over a few beers and we were working for CSL at the time um, building their plasma fractionation plant and um, there was no biopharmaceutical engineering company dedicated to building vaccine manufacturing and the high-end advanced manufacturing side of things at the time so we saw that as an opportunity and went for it. And are those five people still around you Michael? No, they're not. Two of the five are. And two, two of the five have still been with the company since founding 20, 25 years ago. They're still shareholders, yeah. So what, what over the last 25 years, um, Michael, before we delve into the company itself and what you're doing now and your numbers and so forth, talk to me about what the journeys felt like, you know, as a founder over that period of time and what some of the biggest challenges are that you've had to deal with in being a business founder and CEO. I suppose... Um... There was, I saw something from the Atlassian CEO and uh, he said he's, he feels, he comes to work every day and he doesn't know what's going to happen. And it feels a bit like that for me too. Um, you know, uh, he called it appropriately unqualified for the position. So it's, it's a real mixture of skills, gut feel, risk taking, less so as we've got bigger and bigger and now listed, but it really has been the, the entrepreneurial spirit of the group that have come and gone over the 25-year journey that's um, been the most interesting side of things. The business takes care of itself in as much as if there's good engineers with good clients and we understand the, the cash flows, as always in small business, you know, you, you, you develop IP and then you keep investing, reinvesting. And so I suppose the feeling, the overall feeling for me is we'll never lose the entrepreneurial spirit, really look after the cash flows, deal with good with good clients and really look after your people. So that's sort of the mantra which has got us to where we are. Let's talk about where you are because you are said to be at the forefront of the ESG transition. Is that how you consider yourselves? We we are in the transition. We see we view the world that there's there's some traditional um, technologies which will need to be part of the transition over the next five to ten years. And our view is that 
our engineering um, can help reduce the greenhouse gas emissions of our clients right now. Um, these technologies will form a major plank of the, um, the, the worldwide initiative. Um, new technologies will be developed and we hope to be part of that. But our focus right now, five to 10 years, is we've just got to do what we're doing now with some of the energy technologies that we've got and do them better. So we're really looking for that um, transition phase uh, as part of our uh, growth strategy. So you've recently released some numbers for the December quarter showing an increase in revenue sitting around about 15% on the quarter and 80% um, year on year. What's been driving that sort of growth for you, Michael? Well, we got knocked around pretty badly by COVID, as everybody did. And we took the opportunity to take a breath and look at where we wanted to be and where the world needed to be in terms of global emissions. And we we actually re-steered the, the company to do a lot more around the, the consulting side of business and the consulting for, uh, and we also put in a profile of the type of client that we wanted to, to work with. And so in doing that, the growth has come from a complete change in the direction of the business in terms of going to very niche, high-end consulting, engineering consulting, um, and focusing on um, conversations with our clients around their future and how we can help them achieve their goals. Uh, and so that's aligning, aligning our ESG aspirations with our clients has been um, really powerful for us. You've got some really interesting parts of the business, and there are some some quite separate business strands, if you like, that still work together even though they're separate. Let's break that down a little bit and help our, our listeners understand a little bit more about the company themselves itself. So um, let's start with your technology business because this is all about environmentally friendly technology solutions to help the energy industry transition. What does this involve for you? Um, how does it all work? Um, so I suppose we take... The, one of the examples um, is our um, uh, what we call the powerhouse, and because of our relationships with um, major um, companies such as Santos, uh, we were able to go to Santos, and we knew their operations reasonably well. Um, we've been working in the LNG space for the best part of a decade, and we said, "Well, we've got an idea." Um, around how you might be able to reduce your greenhouse gases in and around your gathering of the, um, the LNG from the ground, from the coal seam gases um, uh, wells. And so it was a conversation with Santos based on our deep knowledge of Santos and people like Santos that they immediately embraced it and they said, yep, we'll give you the platform to, to investigate whether this idea that you have is actually an opportunity given given you know, our resource base, our engineering base, some ideas aren't opportunities because they just cost too much money and so on and you can't get a partner to test it. So Santos, uh, we had lots of conversations with Santos um, and they said, yep, we think it is, uh, it's a good idea. It's, it could be an opportunity. Let's, let's turn the idea into the opportunity that it might be where we can um, significantly reduce the, the greenhouse gases from the gathering operations of companies like Santos. And so that's, um, you know, that, that's the example where we know the operations of the companies. We see technologies from other industries. Um, 
we we leverage our entrepreneurial spirit, um, the engineers' creativity, and we we look for partners who um, have a a desire um, to uh, reduce their greenhouse gases as quickly as they can while they transition to um, a low carbon future. And and that was that's the perfect example of of how we um, engage with um, industry to develop technology. You're, you're currently working on an MOU with, with Santos. How, how close are you to finalising that for the Powerhouse project? We actually have an MOU um, where we outlined exactly this exploration phase. We would provide the engineering. We would provide the funds to for any prototype. Um, we've advanced that prototype where we've now procured um, all of the, the equipment. It's being assembled um, right now. Um, so the MOU is, is going to potentially have a second phase to the MOU, and that is once we prove it and once we um, uh, are producing the, the, the electricity and displacing diesel and gas generation of the power which drives the coal seam uh, wells, then the, another phase to the MOU potentially could be some sort of um, annexure where we can um, explore the commercial benefits of, of this technology. So we definitely have an MOU. What's the response been to companies, um, and I'm sure you're talking to companies on a global basis, but what's the response been? Because ESG, um, the transition to green energy, is no longer a nice-to-have. It seems to be more of a must-have. So you would imagine that right now you're you're exploring and, and working in a, in a space which has got to be rapidly growing. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, with the um, the MOU with Santos, they're, they're partnered with Petronas and Total, and they, they're briefed on what we're doing. Um, and, of course, they're taking a, a watching brief on how we might perform or how the technology might perform. Um, so just by working with Santos and companies with like Santos with their profile, we get um, international eyes looking at us all the time as a matter of course. So that's the beauty of, that's one of the beauties of, of our approach. So if I take the, the um, um, our, our relationship with green tech around our um, CDP technology, well, we were working with um, the likes of Sinopec and PetroChina to prove that technology in the Chinese context, and that went very well. Um, and so, yeah, the, it's absolutely um, fair to say that our when we look at an idea, we're looking at the market, and the market's got to be global. The market can't be just um, local, can't be Australian. And so our, um, our new contract or our... Uh, license arrangement with green tech is that we've got technology uh, we can take the cdp technology into canada north america central america and south america and so as well as australia so you know we've got to be a bit mindful of our resource base and what we can achieve so we thought that was a much better approach than trying to tie up a global agreement um, we've picked the markets where we think we can easily do business. So the global approach, that's one of our, um, I suppose, um, assessment gates is it has to be a large global opportunity. Well, well you, you just talked about CDP technology. So um, for the layman amongst us and for our listeners too, Michael, talk us through what the CDP or composite dry powder technology is. It's a treatment 
that uh, where you can where you can apply um, quite small amounts of the composite dry powder to uh, a muddy slurry, and these muddy slurries are produced particularly when you're doing a um, a coal seam um, gas well. When you're drilling the well, you pour water down, which has got um, various composites uh, components in it, and it flushes out the rock as the drill bit travels through the earth. It, it flushes out the rock, and so the the resultant um, product is a muddy slurry, and water's quite hard to get rid of, um, and so you know it takes a quite a high temperature to get water to evaporate, as opposed, for example, to um, an example might be um, ethanol or methanol or um, nail polish remover. It dries really quickly. Water's not like that. Water takes a lot of energy to to dry. So this CDP reacts with the water and the and the mud and the components of the mud to almost instantly go to a dry gravel which can be used for road base it can be used for uh, building materials so we're taking what was a difficult um, waste product and we're turning it into a starting material for a whole lot of other things and so that was one of the requirements that the, the the Chinese government at the time said we're only interested in allowing this test to go forward if you're taking a waste product and turning it into a starting material and so um, that was the sort of um, start of the conversation with Greentech and here we are now we're looking to apply that in Australia and in those territories that I mentioned earlier. So you're really you, you, you're you're sort of full steam ahead on commercializing that mm. technology across the largest markets. Absolutely we just want to get make sure that we understand all the subtleties of um, the various markets because they do have different environmental jurisdictions. Australia is one of the most stringent so when we, um, as we are advancing through that regulatory process, if you like, and the investigation with the various operators, we plan to set that will set us up for going to Canada, the US, and and South America. So, talk to us a little bit about your engineering business. You mentioned it briefly before, Michael, um, but you've had some significant contract wins uh, more re- more recently. Uh, so, tell us how the engineering business is doing at the moment. The engineering businesses, um, of course, we've done a big turnaround um, through COVID. So we're back to pre-COVID activity um, and our pipeline is very strong. But I suppose the the engineering business is a very strong adjunct to our technology business because by solving traditional engineering problems for our clients, we get to see their issues and their challenges and then we're able to apply our entrepreneurial spirit, our creativity, to actually come back to them and say, well, you've given us this um, traditional engineering exercise, but we notice that you've got a problem over there. We think we've got an idea. Would you partner with us to explore that idea? So the engineering business is a cash generating business in its own right, but it actually takes us to our clients' biggest problems, which allows our technology um, division to, 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 to investigate ideas and come back to them with um, with solutions. And so it also our technology needs engineering so if we're just a straight technology business we'd have to outsource the engineering um, so we we really like that sort of interplay between the engineering business and the technology business um, and you know we've got coming up to 80 odd people um, in that business um, so it's a formidable engineering um, 
business now. So when, when you look ahead sort of the next three to five years, how do you see that balance between technology and engineering playing out for the company? Powerhouse, we've got, we're very, very optimistic about Powerhouse. Everything that we've done so far and we've um, announced to the market um, has has gone as planned and we're in the starting to prepare now to get onto site. So the engine, so the technology side of the business, um, and our um, Dave Harris is, is head of that. Dave's job is to engage with the clients to um, get them on board with what we're trying to do, to get the collaboration going, and now it's up to the engineering business to deliver. So that that interplay between the technology and the engineering is is very it, it's a two way street, but at different phases, there's a lot of traffic going one way or a lot of traffic going the other. And coming up to um, the next, say, six months, there's going to be a lot of work done by our engineering business to advance the technology side of the business. So it, it really is the strategy of the engineering and the technology is hand in glove. So what does your balance sheet look like at the moment, Michael? I know that, you know, you raised some cash earlier in the year, um, just over $7 million. You had that amount on your balance sheet um, at the end of December. Um, how are you looking at the moment and how are you deploying any cash that you do have on the balance sheet? Yes, I think, you know, we've always been a small business, I suppose, and the attitudes of capital management are still very, very strong. Um, so I think on 30th of September, we reported that we had in the order of um, $8 million. So we've been able to roll out and, and advance our technology and run the engineering business. And we purported on the 31st of December, um, $7.1 million cash. So we we are very, very frugal in how we, and very careful in how we spend the money. So we've done basically only two um, cap raises in the history of the listed entity, which is about four and a half years. Um, first, um, we did a, a compliance cap raise, which was virtually nothing. We raised 1.3 million um, back in 2020, and we raised um, 7 million um, just at the end of last year, or towards the 4th of August um, last year. So, I, I, and now the engineering business is um, starting to produce cash in its own right. So, it's um, it comes down to preserving your cash to the point where you can develop your technology, so you can get a major return when you commercialize it at scale and um, I think that's our focus is is commercializing getting to a point where we have bankable projects or a bankable um, set of projects and I think they all these projects are that we've got on the go now are indicating that it's going to be a very strong um, cash generating um, uh, business into the future. It certainly sounds like it. Um, Michael, just a final question for you before I let you go. When you look ahead across uh, 2022, what's the most exciting thing that's coming up on your palette? There's a couple of things. I think that it's hard work commercialising technology. And here we are now, people think that, you know, who may be new to the stock think, oh, these guys, you know, overnight success. But it's it's actually a 25-year journey. (laughs) And so... It's. I think the exciting thing is now that all the people that have contributed to the technology, um, the three shots on goal that we've got with technology now, which is the which we haven't spoken about the custody transfer system. We've got the CDP, 
and we've got the um, uh, powerhouse. These are long-haul undertakings, and we're right at the verge of all three being put into a commercial operation. And so that's the most exciting thing. So the engineering is exciting, but the engineers are all part of the technology as well. So, yeah, I, I've got to say the technology is we're looking for some serious, um, I suppose, engagement on our technology front by, by industry this year. Okay, well, we very much look forward to watching you, uh, Michael, um, and watching the company grow. It's a, a very exciting time uh, for, for Synetic, so we're, we're going to be uh, chatting to you again more than once over the next 12 months, I'm sure. Thank you so much for your time today. I look forward to it. Thanks for your time, Oriel. And thanks for all of our listeners, of course, too, and for joining the Stock Insiders podcast today with me, Oriel Morrison. We'll catch you next time. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, was sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, Australia's leading corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Barclay Pierce Capital provides specialised corporate advisory and equities trading services to privately owned businesses, small to medium-sized public and ASX-listed companies.